for. text reads like this. It says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. All my fears, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him shall have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. A church history lecturer once told his students, get as much church history as you can into your sermons And I know many of you would say, yes, Hugh, that sounds like an excellent way to put the churches to sleep. But when we put ourselves into the shoes of those who have gone before us, we find that their stories are able to shoot adrenaline into our bloodstreams. I've told us bits and pieces of the story of John Patton or Peyton or however you say it before that Scottish missionary who lived in the 1800s and left a thriving city mission for the cannibals of the New Hebrides. And I want to tell you a little bit more of his story tonight. He was on one of the islands and one of the natives pretended to be ill and he called for Peyton to come to him. And as he was leaning over this islander to find out what was wrong with this man, this man pulled off the bed sheets, jumped out of bed, and he pressed a knife up against his heart. And looking back on this moment, this is what Peyton wrote. He said, I dared neither move or speak 
except that my heart kept praying to the Lord to spare me, or if my time was come to take me home to glory with himself. There passed a few moments of awful suspense. My sight went and came, so I think that means he passed out. Not a word had been spoken except to Jesus, and then he wielded the knife around, thrust it into the sugarcane leaf, and cried to me, Go quickly! I ran for my life a weary four miles till I reached the mission house, faint yet praising God for such a deliverance. And if we were to ask ourselves, how does someone persevere in a context like that one year after year, decade after decade? Here is one answer. By fearing God. By fearing God. Why do I say that? Well, because the fear of God is the only species of fear that makes us brave. The fear of God is the ticket out of the snare of every other kind of fear. We're going to sing a little bit later on. Fear him, you saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. We come to... Psalm 34, and the background to Psalm 34 is really the fear of man. You see that just above uh, verse 1 in our Psalter there. It says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And that story, you remember, is found in 1 Samuel 20 and 21 where David ran from King Saul because King Saul was jealous of David and his success. So David ran to Gath, but when the servants of the king of Gath Identify David as the one who'd killed their hero, Goliath. They told the king of Gath. And David then pretended to be insane so that they'd want nothing to do with him. And it worked. David was delivered. He ran away from Gath and he ran to the cave of Adullam and there he hid for some time. But since David knew that God was behind that deliverance, David reminded himself that the fear of God is the fear to be chosen above every other fear. The fear of God over and above the fear of Saul. The fear of God over and above the fear of Abimelech. The fear of God over and above the question, what if? The fear of of God above the question, what next? The fear of God above the question, but how? And again, the fear of God is a ticket, whereas the fear of man is a snare. So before we break open Psalm 34, friends, allow me to ask you, what are you, what are you afraid of tonight? Are you afraid of World War III? Are you afraid of your children growing up in a world like our world? with all of the pressures that are on them today to conform to an antichrist mind? Are you afraid of what old age might mean for you? you, Are you afraid for for your marriage and for your family? Friends, allow David to commend to you tonight the fear of God. Look at verse nine. Fear the Lord, you saints. And that's the summary statement of the entire psalm. It unlocks the entire psalm. And David shows us what belongs to the man who does fear the Lord. He shows us, number one, his rejoicing. 
Number two, his refuge. And number three, his redeemer. So we're going to see number one, his rejoicing. Look with me at verses one to six. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. That's the kind of rejoicing that belongs to the one who fears the Lord. And so David just stacks one word on top of another word to describe his praise. He says, I will bless the Lord. That just means I will speak a good word about God's kindness to me. And then verse 1 again, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's as if he's saying, God's praise and my tongue are dancing in my mouth. And oh, for a thousand more tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord, which means to acknowledge a triumph with God's help. So that whether in his mouth or whether in his soul or whether on his face, rejoicing belongs to the one who fears God. Why? Because our God delivers. Our God saves. And according to the great might of our God that should make us afraid of him, he uses that might for us. He employs it on our behalf. He employs it to to make a way when there was no way. And to deliver us according to his power. A God who is strong enough to lift us out of the miry clay. And put our feet on a rock. And to put a new song in our mouth. A song of praise to our God. A God who is able to swap a spirit of despair for a garment of praise. No matter the force that's against us. No matter the power of the enemy. God can overcome them all. And we shouldn't think to ourselves, alright, well good for you David. That all sounds very nice. Thank you very much. Because the truth is, we have a greater reason to rejoice in God. Because we have a greater deliverance. David worshipped like this in verses 1 to 6, having received a temporal deliverance. But friends, we gather tonight as a people who have received an eternal deliverance. What did Paul write to the Colossians? He said, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a redemption that never comes to an end. That's a redemption that's good for this life and for the next. It's a past, present, and a future redemption. So look, friends, as your pastor, I want to make you a promise. And as the church, I want you to commit yourselves to something as well. I promise as your pastor 
That as long as God gives me life and health and breath and as long as God keeps me and holds me here, I will put the deliverance of God in Jesus Christ on center stage in this place. Redemption through his blood, righteousness through his obedience, life through his death. I am determined to make nothing else known among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and the eternal deliverance that comes to us in and through him. But as I seek to do that, would you please seek to make our services explosions of joy to praise and to worship in view of an eternal deliverance, not a meager deliverance. A great and a glorious salvation, not a small and pathetic salvation. Friends, we should be a church going far beyond the joy in Psalm 34 because again, we have a greater deliverance and a greater redeemer. And we should, and we should gather with those with radiant faces and full hearts and tongues that are ready to move in the direction of praise and worship because the God that we praise deliver, delivers. I remember I told you a couple of years ago that there was a guy, a guy that was working on a roof in Hoy Lake and he wondered to himself on a Sunday morning, who is blasting their radio at this time on a Sunday morning? And then he realized it wasn't a radio, it was a church. It was us praising our God. And what a witness and a testimony that is in view of this eternal redemption. Friends, let's just keep that up. Let's keep that going and let's do more and more to raise the roof in praise of our God who has delivered us with an eternal redemption. Sin has never delivered us from anything, has it? But into more and more misery. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, your life, and you're a non-Christian, your life bears witness to that, that sin has never delivered on a single promise that it's made to you. But every believer in this room tonight would be able to say, God has delivered on every promise that he's made me in Jesus Christ. Because all of his promises are yes and amen in him. So that's the rejoicing that belongs to the one who fears God. But I want us to see, second, his refuge. Look again at verses 7 to 14. The psalmist writes, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who, who fear him. And delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What was this saint's refuge? Well, again, it was the fear of the good God. And you put the context of this together with the words of our passage David the psalmist feared Saul and he ran from Saul. David the psalmist feared Abimelech and he ran from Abimelech. And yet David the psalmist feared God and he ran to God, not away from God. Because the fear of God is a, is a fear that compels us, it doesn't repel us. 
What does the word say? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved, not away from it and are saved. I love the way that Michael Reeves tries to get at this in his great book, The Fear of God. It opens with these words. He he writes, quote, boo. It's one of the first words we enjoy as, as children. We love to leap out on our friends and shout it, but at the same time, we were scared of the dark and the monsters under the bed. We were both fascinated and repelled by our fears. And not much changes when we grow up. Adults love scary movies and thrills that bring us face to face with our worst fears. But we also agonize over all the dreadful things that could happen to us. How we could lose our lives, health or loved ones. How we might fail or be rejected. Fear is possibly the strongest human emotion It baffles us. When we come to the Bible, the picture seems equally confusing. Is fear a good thing or bad? Many times, he writes, Scripture clearly views fear as a bad thing from which Christ has come to rescue us. The Apostle John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Indeed, the most frequent command in Scripture is, Do not be afraid. Yet, again and again in Scripture, we are called to fear. Even more strangely, we're called to fear God. The verse that quickly comes to mind is Proverbs Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. And in the New Testament, Jesus describes the unrighteous judge as the one who neither feared God nor respected man. Paul writes, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. All of which can leave us rather confused. Reeves writes, but the point is this, when we fear God, we find ourselves being drawn to him, not away from him. We find ourselves being drawn to a God who is strong enough to terrify us and yet also strong enough to comfort us. Like a father holding a a baby. He has all the power, all the might that he needs. And yet he employs all of that power to comfort and to console. God is a refuge to run to, not a monster to run from. You'd be terrified, wouldn't you, if you came face to face with Aslan. He wasn't safe, but he's good. So friends, the question for us tonight is this, how can we learn to take refuge in God more naturally? Because when we're afraid, what do we do? Well, we typically run to the world. We typically run to entertainment to just ignore the problem. Or we run to alcohol to numb the concern, to take the edge off a bit. Or social media or a circle of friends or whatever it is. And David's answer here is that we need to experience God. That God needs to go from being a a mere theory on a page to a reality in our souls. That's what David says here, isn't it? When he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just read the ingredients on the back of a tub of ice cream. Stick a spoonful of it into your mouth. 
That's the difference between the theory of God and the reality of knowing Him. Tasting and seeing God for yourself. And the more we go to God and the more we experience of God in our fear, the quicker we'll run to Him because we'll know that He is all that we need. We'll know that He's got everything He needs within Himself to comfort us and to secure us. It's amazing when you think about it that the Jews had scheduled times in the year to do exactly this, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So you think about the Passover meal. There is the the Passover lamb that they would eat. And there's the wine that they would drink and all of these bitter herbs that would go. What were they doing? They were tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. They were reminding themselves, here is a God who has a terrifying goodness. A goodness that was able to take the life of the firstborn and utterly annihilate the strongest nation in the world. And then part the Red Sea before us and he employed all of that power for us. The weakest and the puniest people in the world. Not because of our might or strength but because we were the least among all the tribes of the earth. But then there's another way for us to experience God's goodness, and it is by practicing godliness. I don't think that's what any of us would have said tonight, is it? But it's fascinating that the Apostle Peter uses Psalm 34 twice to make that very point. Listen to the way he puts it. He says this, Put away all malice, And all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he says again in chapter 3, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Someone wrote this, There is no experience of God's goodness without a corresponding godliness. A friend of mine used to sell insurance and uh, he used to work with a girl that everyone loved in the office. And then the business made a decision to uh, make Saturday overtime available to the staff. It was paid at time and a half. And so people would come in a, on a Saturday and they'd write down their hours. And maybe if they were a bit skint in the, toward the end of the month, they would enjoy a, a bit of a pay increase uh, toward the end of that working month. But sadly, what happened was this colleague of his would be writing down hours that she'd never worked. And eventually, the, the manager found out about it and she was let go. Do you see what happened there? She didn't fear and therefore she had much to fear. But if she had feared, then she would have had nothing to fear at all. And that's the way fear and godliness work together in our lives. And so we've thought about his rejoicing, his refuge, 
But then secondly, we, uh, thirdly rather, we see his redeemer. Just look at verses 15 to 22 again. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so on a first read, it sounds like David is commending a a, a form of Jewish karma to us, doesn't it? If you're good, good things will happen to you. If you're bad, then bad things will happen to you. But from this side of the cross, we know that the righteous ones mentioned in Psalm 34 are not those who are righteous within themselves. They're those who have been made righteous by the righteous one. The righteous are those who have become righteous by taking refuge in the only righteous man who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why in John chapter 19, the apostle John tells us that Jesus' bones were preserved and that none of Jesus' bones were broken as he was offered up as a perfect sacrifice for sinners. And so the point is that Jesus is the righteous man of Psalm 34. And because Jesus bore our unrighteousness in his body, he clothes us with the perfect righteousness of his very self. And Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb whose legs were not broken. So that as the Jews took refuge under their blood-painted lintels. We have a far greater refuge to hide in tonight, the Lord Jesus himself. We take refuge in him and we're spared from the judgment of God. He took our judgment at the cross and he gave to us his righteousness. So that now, having been made righteous, the eyes of the Lord are ever toward us. And his ear is always open to our prayer. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted because God forsook his son there on the cross of Calvary as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And therefore, friends, regardless of when the Lord chooses to deliver you from an earthly trial, whether it's in this life or whether it's in the next life, The right here, right now reality is that God's eyes are ever toward you in his grace and in his love for you. No longer an enemy, but a child of his love that has been saved by the Lamb of God. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then Psalm 34 has really brought you to a crossroad in your life. Because if you'll trust that Jesus went to the cross for you, then you'll receive what Jesus deserves. The infinite love of the infinite God. But if you reject Jesus, then you will receive all that Jesus endured for his people when he died for them at the cross. 
And so friend, turn to Christ and receive in Christ a God whose ear is open to you and a God whose heart is ever toward you in his mercy and in his love. Fear God and live, all you saints. Amen.